0: Our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for your word. We thank you for how it has the power to make the simple wise. And we are all simple minded before you. So fill us today with your spirit. Allow your word uh, to be understood by all. Use me as a straw to bring your truth to the people that you love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Significance. I think we are all looking for this meaning purpose. Why am I here? I believe that all of us here today want our lives to matter. We desire for our lives to have significance, to have some unique purpose to fill fulfill in our lives. There's a desire inside of us to want to leave a legacy for future generations. We want to make a difference in each other's lives. We want to be useful and fruitful for the Lord, the German poet Johann Garte Garte? Gute, Garte I always thought it was Goeth, but Google corrected me. Uh, once said, "A useless life is only an early death. A useless life is only an early death." All of us have experienced seasons in our lives where we have felt useless and fruitless. It usually happens when we have lost track of being diligent in pursuing God's meaning and purpose of our lives. Please pay close attention this morning to what the Apostle Peter tells us in his epistle. None of us want to find ourselves looking back at our lives with regret, concluding that we lived only for ourselves and have been useless and fruitless. Years ago, I went to a coaching clinic, and the speaker challenged us with the the thought, what makes you significant as a coach? And you, you think about that. Is it the number of wins that you have? Oh, man, you're a great coach. You have 500 wins. Wow, you must be really significant. Is it the number of professional athletes that you have coached? Wow, that many athletes have gone to the pros from you. You must be a great coach. That makes you really significant. But the speaker went on to say that his belief was that a coach did not have to win games to be significant. His belief was that if a coach showed that he or she truly cared about their athletes and their athletes knew it, that coach was significant. This belief changed how I coached, and I stopped being a transactional coach where I would get things from my players and and not give a whole lot back, where to a transformational coach where I wanted to be significant in their lives, both as I was their coach, but also in their future. And I look back over my coaching career, and the things that bring the most joy is the impact the Lord has allowed me to have on many of my athletes' lives. The league championships were nice, but they are nothing in comparison to the fruit I see in their lives today. This morning, we're going to look at what the Apostle Peter, at the end of his life, wanted to tell persecuted believers how to remain useful and fruitful in the gospel. Think about the Apostle Peter. He was the one that had the tendency in his earlier years to be overconfident and overlook the Master's warnings. He rushed ahead when he should have waited. He slept when he should have prayed. And many times he talked when he should have listened. He was the one that the Lord warned in John 21:18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. This was told to him over 30 years ago, and now he was witnessing the persecution of the believers in Rome. After the city of Rome burned in A.D. 64, the emperor Nero blamed the Christians for setting the fires. They didn't, by the way. I just want you to know that severe persecution began against Christians, and Nero began making sport of this persecution by torturing the believers, burning them, hanging them, crucifying them, and feeding them to wild beasts while still alive. Peter knew his time was short and wanted to plant wanted to pen one last letter before his departure. What would he tell his fellow persecuted believers? He saw many of the believers wilting under the pressure of persecution and growing silent or even falling away. He saw others overwhelmed with worry and fear and becoming stagnant in their spiritual progress. What could he write that would encourage these believers to remain fruitful and productive in their faith? But this is when he penned these words in 2 Peter 1, 1 1-11. Let's read them together. Simon Peter For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and in your knowledge self-control and in your self-control perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So this morning we're going to look at four things that the Apostle Peter would want us to know when we want to continue being useful and fruitful in the gospel. The first thing the Apostle Peter would want us to know is know who is giving you the advice. My wife and I have spent many years teaching our youth here at Cornerstone. And one of the things that they always hear from us is be careful who you allow to be your counselors. Who are the people that you go to when you need advice? Do you realize that the entertainment that you allow into your life can become your counselors? What music artists have you allowed to be your counselors? The opening book of the Psalms gives us instruction about our counselors. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. It is of primary importance that we know who we are receiving counsel from. The Apostle Peter wants us to know that this letter is coming from him. Look at verse 1, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When we look at how Peter describes himself, he calls himself a bondservant. A better translation of the word doulos is bondslave. We get insight uh, into this word as we look at Deuteronomy 15, verses 12 to 17. It reads, "'If your kinsman, a Hebrew man or woman, is sold to you, "'then he shall serve you six years. "'But in the seventh year you shall set him free. "'And when you set him free, "'you shall not send him away empty-handed. "'You shall furnish him liberally from your flock "'and from your threshing floor and from your wine vat. "'You shall give to him as the Lord your God has blessed you. "'And you shall remember that you were a slave "'in the land of Egypt.' And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore I command you this today. And it shall come about if he says to you, I will not go out from you because he loves you and your household. Since he fares well with you, then you shall take an awl and pierce it through his ear into the door and he shall be your servant forever. That is what a bond slave is. A slave by choice. The Apostle Peter is letting us know that he is the Lord's slave. He has humbly and gratefully placed himself in the position of submission, duty, and obedience. The Lord Jesus paid for Peter and all of us who believe today with his body and blood. We have been bought with a price according to 1 Corinthians 6.20. Jesus came to free us from the slavery of sin, but as we are freed from that bondage, we take on a new kind of slavery. We've become slaves of Christ By choice. If you think you are free outside of your bondage to Christ, your freedom is actually slavery. We have to lose our lives to find them, we have to give them away to get them back. This is all found in Peter's description of himself as the Lord's bond slave. Peter also calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle was a divinely commissioned eyewitness of the resurrected Lord. The apostles were given authority to proclaim God's truth. Jesus stated this in Matthew ten forty, where he announced He who receives me and he, he, he who receives me and I'm sorry, here we go. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. In identifying himself as an apostle, Peter is claiming the highest authority given in the church. It is interesting that Peter refers to himself as a bond slave, which would be the lowest authority, and an apostle, which is the highest authority. This is like so many things in the Christian life. We are poor yet rich, we are fools yet wise, and we are weak yet strong. Our spiritual life is full of apparent contradictions, but they only contradict to the outside world. Next, Peter identifies the recipients of this letter. To those who have received a faith the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here, Peter is recognizing the Jews and Gentiles that will be reading this letter have been equally called, saved, and equipped to live the Christian life by the righteousness of Christ. It is only because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life of righteousness died on the cross where he received all of God's wrath against our sin on himself, and was resurrected on the third day that we can have salvation. This verse tells us that we have received faith by the righteousness of Christ. This speaks of the transfer or the imputation of the righteousness of Christ to the account of the believer. It is only it is the only way that God can look at us and proclaim that we are righteous. We today are also ones that have received a faith the same as the apostles. Pause for a moment and think about that. You have received the same faith as the apostle Peter, the apostle John, and the apostle Paul. How? Because it all comes from the righteousness of Christ. We are fellow heirs, fellow members, and fellow partakers. The second thing the Apostle Peter would want us to know when we uh, we want to continue being useful and fruitful in the gospel is know what you have been given. Look at verses 2 to 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of him, who called us by his own glory and excellence? For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. God's grace is free, unmerited favor toward sinners, which grants forgiveness of sins to those who have believed. Peace with God in all of life's circumstances, comes out of God's grace. Both of these are free gifts given by God. There are nothing that we can earn ourselves. The concept of this grace and peace being multiplied speaks of the abundance and generosity of our God. He does not give us a static amount of grace and peace, but gives us an ever-increasing amount. Now I was a former math teacher, and so I love the words that Peter uses here. Multiply. It might pass by some of you, but you who are students in algebra two, you get it. Because if he would have said, "May the grace and peace of God be added to you," okay, that's speaking of an arithmetic sequence. Okay, but he says, uh, but he chose to use the word multiply, which represents a geometric sequence. Which grows exponentially. So if it was an arithmetic, uh, arithmetic relationship, it would grow one, two, three, four. But he says it's being multiplied to you, which is a geometric sequence, which grows one, two, four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. All those uh, computer computer numbers there. Okay. And but that's how how the it just speaks of the lavishness of God, that. he is is not giving us barely enough grace and peace to get by. No, he gives you so much that it can spill out of your life into the lives of others. This grace and peace that he gives freely to us. This experience of ever-increasing grace and peace are given to believers in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. The Greek word for knowledge here, is epinosis and is referring not to a mere intellectual awareness or theoretic- theoretical knowledge of God. It refers to the full, rich, and thorough knowledge of God. It speaks to the intimate knowledge of God that only believers can experience through Jesus Christ. I want to explain this to you in a way that if someone were to come up to me and ask, do you know Arnold Schwarzenegger? I would answer, No. I have never known Arnold Schwarzenegger. And they would respond, you surely have heard about Arnold? Oh, and I, and I would say, oh, Arnold. And they would say, yes. And I said, well, you know, I know he was in a bunch of movies. I know he was a, a former Mr. Universe. I know he was a former governor of the state of California. But I do not really know him. I don't have a personal relationship with him. I probably could recognize him in a crowd, but he would not recognize me. But if that same person were to ask me, do you know God? I would answer yes. I have a growing knowledge of God through my Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I think I could recognize him in a crowd, but I know he would recognize me. And we do not merely know about God and Jesus. We share an intimate, personal relationship with God. When our intimate, deep knowledge of God increase, our grace and peace increase, and we become more like Christ. But wait, there's more. Look at verse 3. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. If you ever feel empty and stagnant in your spiritual life, you need to get a three-by-five card, write this verse on it, and carry it with you. Peter is telling us in this verse that we do not need to have power in ourselves. God gives us his power to do the works that please him. He fills us and empowers us to do spiritual things that are unbelievable. Ephesians 3.20 tells us, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Look at those multiplication words, exceeding abundantly, but it is all done in the power of God in our lives. The fact that God has granted his power to us is important to understand. The tense of the verb indicates that God granted us his power in the past, With continuing results in the present, and that his power is permanently given to believers. So it doesn't matter how you feel. The fact is that you have God's resurrection power in you. This means if God has called you to live a certain way, he has also given you the power to do so. God's power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. All believers have everything we need to live an ongoing life of sanctification. God desires us to have an abundant life of usefulness and fruitfulness. He also desires for us to have godliness in our lives. Now, godliness speaks of reverence for God, or commonly referred to as the fear of the Lord, along with active obedience. God's power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. God's power has given us the ability to to live a useful and fruitful life and to grow in our godliness. This is all done through our knowledge of Him. As we mature in our relationship with Jesus, we find that His will for our lives is the best thing for our lives. This does not mean that everything is good in our lives. But it does mean that everything that happens to us is for our ultimate good. So growing in the fear of the Lord and active obedience makes sense to us as we grow in our deep relationship with God. It is for our good to grow in these things. Verse 4 states, For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. For those of you, of you that have trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, Peter is telling you that it was Christ's glory as God and his excellence as the perfect man that called you to himself. It is by these attributes that God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. Some of these promises are found in these verses. John 6, The one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. John 14.6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 1 John 5.12, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. In 1 Peter 1.23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and abiding word of God. All of these precious and magnificent promises come through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and faith in him. As we believe and trust in Jesus Christ and the many promises found in scripture, we are born again and we become partakers of the divine nature. If we are to escape the corruption that is in the world, we are going to need a new nature, a divine nature given by God to us. This is all part of your salvation. God saves you from the punishment of your sins And gives you a new nature to live to live in while you remain here on earth. So two things happen when we believe God's promises. We become partakers of the divine nature, and we escape the corruption of the world. So the things that the Apostle Peter wants us to know when we want to continue being useful and fruitful in the gospel number one, know who is giving you the advice. Number two, know what you have been given. And the third thing he would want you to know is know what to add to your faith. Look at verses five to seven. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and your in your moral excellence knowledge, and in your knowledge self control, and in your self control perseverance, and in your perseverance godliness, and in your godliness brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness love. Now, for this very reason also refers to God's powerful provision and his precious promises. In light of these things, Peter calls us to apply all diligence. This is saying that we are to bring every effort to the task with a sense of urgency. It implies haste, eagerness, and determination. It means to apply ourselves as much as possible. Peter tells us to supply a number of things in your faith. Note that Faith is already present. Faith is the foundation of the Christian life. And it is on this foundation of faith focused on Christ and established by the Holy Spirit that we are to build. So to supply to this foundation means to add to it, to build upon it. Spiritual growth is not automatic. We cannot just add water and expect to grow spiritually. It requires cooperation with God and application of spiritual diligence and discipline. Peter then lists seven attributes that we should add to this foundation of faith. The first attribute to be added to our faith is moral excellence. This word is synonymous with virtue, and this word had a deep meaning in first century Roman culture. It characterized the very finest of Roman manhood, strength, valor, courage, and excellence. Adding moral excellence means to have the ability to stand up for what is right with courage. The second a- attribute to add is knowledge. This word refers to the practical knowledge with an emphasis on growth. It is knowledge learned by observation and experience. Peter used the same word in 1 Peter 3 7, encouraging a husband to live with his wife in an understanding way. This means for him to know her personally and intimately. We are to know God personally and intimately, which requires diligent study and meditation on the word of God. The third attribute to add is self-control. This word literally means to hold oneself in. It was used of athletes who sought self-discipline and self-restraint. As believers in Christ, um, we are building on faith with moral excellence and knowledge We must never allow anything to control us except for the Holy Spirit. Not money, sex, power, food, drink, drugs, work, or even personal goals. Self-control means maintaining a balanced life, especially when the world encourages indulgence. The fourth attribute to add is perseverance. This word means the voluntary and daily suffering of hard and difficult things for the sake of honor and usefulness. A believer in Christ must keep on the narrow path even when everything around us, around us tries to push us off. We must remain steadfast, stable, and clear-headed in the midst of distress and disaster. This requires a firm footing on the foundation of faith with a target of hope and with patience. The fifth attribute to add is godliness. This word speaks of a believer's vertical relationship with God and their horizontal relationship with their fellow man. A believer must have the right perspective and attitude towards God, showing the po- proper reverence and worship of Him. Godliness also requires a believer to have the right view towards others, a genuine servant's heart giving others their proper honor and respect. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy, godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The sixth attribute to add is brotherly kindness. This word, Philadelphia, emphasizes the horizontal relationship to our fellow man that godliness addressed. It refers to treating others as if they were members of our own family. And I'm sure many of you here feel closer to your brothers and sisters here at Cornerstone than you do to your own siblings. Believers need to live in such close relationship with others that we can bear one another's burdens, we can double each other's joys, and have each other's sorrows. Our care groups are a great environment to develop these types of relationships. Brotherly kindness is the key to living in community with your fellow believers. The final attribute that Peter says to add is love, and he uses the word agape. We have all heard of this type of love. It is God's unconditional love toward us. Romans 5.8 tells us, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were rebels against God and he sent his son to die for us and suffer his entire wrath against our sin on himself. Humanly speaking, this love can be described as seeking the highest good for others. It is putting someone else's needs above your own. As we look at this list of things to add to our faith, it looks pretty daunting. In fact, the list is impossible for us to accomplish on our own. But Peter tells us in verse 3 that we can add these things because His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. We can add these virtues because God has given us the power to do so. It is when we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives that we can take Peter's instructions seriously and begin to apply diligence to grow in these attributes. The fourth thing Peter would want us to know when we want to continue being useful and fruitful in the gospel is know why you need to do these things. You know, what what good is it for me to do these? Peter next reveals the purpose of cultivating these virtues in our lives. Look at verses 8 through 11. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Peter now offers two ways to respond to his instructions. If these qualities are yours and are increasing is speaking of the previous attributes that he listed. He states that if you are diligently seeking to add the qualities of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, and brotherly kindness, and agape love, these qualities will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge Of our Lord Jesus Christ. Useless refers to being inactive or idle, and unfruitful means to be barren. The true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ is referring to real believers that God has granted true saving knowledge of Jesus, which is the gospel, the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ. Peter then speaks of the second way to respond to his instructions. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. The person who professes faith in Christ but fails to pursue these virtues is blind because he is unable to discern his true spiritual condition. A believer that is not diligently pursuing these qualities lacks assurance of his salvation because he has forgotten his purification from his former sins. This is implying that this person's spiritual blindness leads to spiritual forgetfulness. When we get spiritually forgetful, we can become ungrateful for all that God has done in our lives and become susceptible to the sins of envy and jealousy. We can become overjudgmental of those around us as we forget how much God has forgiven us. Peter's remedy to, of spiritual forgetfulness is found in the next verses. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Remember back in verse 5 that to be all the more diligent means to have a sense of urgency with eagerness and determination. Peter wants us to be diligent to add the qualities that he listed, but now he states that he wants us to be more diligent about something else. The object of this diligence is our salvation. This is a greater priority because all the other attributes are to be added to your believing faith. We are to make certain about his calling and choosing us. This is preaching the gospel to yourself. Because God has called me and chosen me, I am saved from all from, and forgiven of all my sins. Because God has called and chosen me, I should want to practice these things. And as I have practice or as we make it a pattern of our lives to pursue moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and agape love, I will be useful and fruitful for the Lord, and I will never stumble. This is speaking of stumbling into doubt despair or fear. Practicing these things does not earn us salvation, but practicing these things will bring assurance to us. Assurance of salvation will allow believers to live abundant and productive spiritual lives. In this way, or as we make it a pattern of our lives to pursue these things, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Not only will you be useful and fruitful in this life, you will have eternal life that will be abundantly supplied to you. We do not serve a stingy God. He is gloriously generous to us. He He does not want us to live this life and think only about ourselves, living an unfruitful and useless life of no significance. He wants you to be eternally significant to the people that He has placed in your sphere of influence. He has given you the provision and precious promises to live by to have a meaningful and significant life. Remember, Peter, is, Peter knows that he is at the end of his life. He sees how the persecution in Rome is getting severe. He sees many believers unstable in their faith, wanting to know how to remain useful and fruitful for the Lord. He pens these words to bring hope and assurance to these beleaguered believers. He uses words of certainty to bring stability. He wants his readers to remember what God has already accomplished in their lives and that God still wants them to be useful and to display his fruit. What is the key to living a life of usefulness and fruitfulness in the gospel? Listen to the final words of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.18 but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It is through the deep, intimate knowledge of Christ that you will learn that obedience to him is the best thing for you. If you're feeling stagnant and unproductive in your Christian life, remember that you have been granted everything you need to live a life of significance and impact on those He's placed in your lives. Drink deeply from God's Word and add moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and agape love to your faith in Jesus and you will continue to live a life of usefulness and fruitfulness in the gospel. In your life, I think in all of our lives, what are some of the things you have invested in? I'm sure many of you have invested into different things. If you have a bank account, you've invested in that. I'm not sure how well it's doing right now, but we've at least put our money there. Uh, I'm also sure many of you have have found that there are no guarantees in the land of investments. When I first started teaching, I set up a retirement account. And this financial advisor told me, man, when you retire, it's going to be worth a million dollars. And you just put $200 away a month. Well, yeah, I want to do that. Well, unfortunately, he was counting on on 12% compounding interest, which it was back then when I first started my uh, my retirement account. And unfortunately, the count is nowhere near a million dollars today. And I am very close to retiring. But what about investing your time? Is there a guarantee that if you invest your time and effort into earning a college degree, that you will land the job of your choice? Or what about investing your time in a career? Is there a guarantee that if you work hard and stay extra hours, you'll get a promotion? Sadly, no. There are no guarantees like that. But I want to tell you this morning, if you invest your time and diligence into spiritual growth, you will be rewarded both now and in eternity. We never have to worry about whether our pursuit of moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness and agape love will result in anything. That investment will be rewarded. Look at Hebrews 6:10 through 12. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. They may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises, so your your time investment in pursuing God will always be will always be rewarded. Now, some of you may be thinking that you 're not spiritually gifted enough to have this apply to you. you may feel like your faith is too weak to be used by the Lord. you may think that you don 't have enough knowledge to be useful for god well i 'm standing here as living proof that God can use you. I grew up in a non-churched household, and I began attending church in high school. I was saved sometime in those years and uh, attended UCLA, and while I was at UCLA, I I felt God's call uh, on my life to prepare myself for life in youth ministry. So I transferred to Biola. So at Biola, I'm a new Christian. I remember sitting in my first New Testament literature class, and we had a test, and the test said, put these eight things in order in the life of Jesus. Well, I, I should be able to do that. And so I'm looking, and it had transfiguration, and I had no idea what that was. So well, that's a, that sounds probably near the end, so I put a you know, letter, whatever that was at the end. But unfortunately, I got a C in that class. And then I wrote a great paper on whether uh, you have to use specific wine and bread for the Lord's Supper. But unfortunately, this was in my eschatology class. And the professor wrote to me on the paper, this is a really good defense of, of your position, but I don't see what it has to do with the end times. And so I got see in that class also. But the, reason, uh, the only reason I can stand here before you this morning is because of years, decades of studying God's word and teaching the youth group. And I want to share an illustration with you uh, from my coaching career. I found that it is difficult for a naturally gifted athlete to appreciate what they have been given by God. And many times the little league superstar does not become the high school superstar because they don't know how to work. They've never had to work. It was naturally just given to them and they were the best player on the team. But what I enjoyed working with were the high school players that were average athletes but worked really hard at their sport They would work hard on the field or on the court and in the weight room. And by their senior year, they would be a high school superstar. But they always knew in the back of their mind, I have to work really hard because I'm not as gifted as that other person over there. And so they always worked at their sport. And it's the same for all of us. We may not feel like God can use us in the life of others. But as we apply diligence to our faith to add these virtues, God will use us. So it is my prayer for for you this morning that all of you have the desire to be useful and fruitful in the gospel. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks for your word once again. Thank you how you just can explain it just from your word. It explains it to us in your Holy Spirit. Thank you for enlightening your word to us this morning. May we all feel motivated to want to be useful and fruitful for you in our lives. Please use us in any way in the lives of those you have placed in our sphere of influence. And just pray your blessing on the rest of our days today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.